0: a playlist original coming soon
1: coming soon soon. to video coming soon to 4k blu-ray a playlist original this is the films at home podcast your source for everything home entertainment hey everyone jeff here from films at home thanks for coming back to the films at home podcast today In this episode, we're going to be interviewing Elliot Cohen, who is the creator behind Boutique Blu-rays with Elliot Cohen. Very popular YouTube channel that I know I personally have been following for some time. Elliot's over in the UK and he talks on his channel all about the unique boutique Blu-ray and 4K releases. So, of course, we've got our Kino Lorbers, our Criterions, but also Eureka Media and Second Sight Media and a couple of these, you know, unique labels that are over in the UK, as well as Arrow Video and lots of other boutique labels. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about movies and collecting in the UK versus the US and how things have changed, how things are similar in many ways. We're going to talk about boutique labels and where their future lies, talk about movie catalogs and how boutique labels can take the next step into accessing some of these potentially lost movie catalogs for physical like fox and disney or the new amazon mgm acquisition and what's going to happen with those titles all kinds of different topics here we go for like an hour because i just couldn't stop talking to this guy super knowledgeable about the industry super knowledgeable about movies and seriously is a place that i go to for many many of my own movie recommendations when I'm picking up boutique stuff, because he just has a, a much bigger brain for film than, than I do. I may be able to cover a lot of the mainstream, but he really gets what's going on and really understands the boutique market. So, um, you know, I would highly recommend checking out his YouTube channel after our conversation here. I'll put links down in the description where you can find him on Instagram and on the YouTube channel. And, and I just highly recommend his stuff, and it was such a pleasure talking to him. So sit back and relax, enjoy this interview with Elliot, and I will talk to you guys at the end. All right, everyone. So here is our interview with Elliot. Um super excited to have him on the podcast today i've been following his youtube channel for a while and is he's constantly giving me recommendations and things in the boutique space that i would not have known of otherwise so super excited to have him here talk some blu-rays talk movie collecting talk what it's like overseas in the uk across the pond from me um and so Elliot if you want to just give a quick little like introduction where can people find you what's your YouTube channel what you know what are you all about uh that'd be awesome
0: yeah sure well first of all thanks very much for having me on here um because I've I've been a big follower of your channel for a very long time um so yeah it's it's good to be on here um I'm on YouTube my channel is boutique blu-rays with Elliot Cohen So I I try to take a bit of a focus on the boutique Blu-ray labels, and I'm I'm sure we're going to get into what they are in this podcast. Um, I do also talk about 4K Blu-rays, so I guess that's where we've got a bit of an overlap. Um, But yeah, I'm a big fan of the boutique labels, so the Criterion Collection, Arrow Video, etc. So yeah, and I like to give recommendations to people who are looking for new things to watch, basically.
1: So when did you start on YouTube? Cuz I sort of I started watching your stuff. I didn't catch it right at the beginning, but I caught it pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, so I, I started on YouTube in 2016. But okay. since since starting, I've kind of been on and off with it. So it was only in the last year or two that I started taking it a bit more seriously, tried to be a bit more consistent. Um but when I started That's what I had thought. Yeah, when I started all those years ago, I was doing just movie reviews of films that I was seeing at the cinema. So like one of my first videos was a review of uh, The Magnificent Seven, you know, the remake uh, with with Chris Pratt. Uh, So that was one of my first videos. But then, you know, I was big into collecting Blu-rays and it just started to evolve into talking about Blu-rays. And that was where people started to find me and follow me. Um, so yeah, it was just natural progression from there, really.
1: I think, I think that is, I was going to say 2016, I started in 2017. So you, you even started before I did late 2017. Um, but I started to notice a couple of years ago, once you started doing more of the Blu-ray content, that's when it kind of came across my radar. And I do think it's interesting cause people always ask me like, you know, when, when they're starting a channel or trying to create some sort of content anywhere, um, you know, how do you differentiate yourself? And I've always been all about like finding your niche. And for me, it happened to be, I mean, primarily 4K reviews is what got me to the level I was at covering the new technology. And then you sort of found this niche within the niche, which is even better because you were able to grow, you know, there are thousands of people doing movie reviews on YouTube, right? If not tens of thousands there are hundreds of people talking about their blu-ray collections and like sort of how do you rise to the top and you found sort of a, a unique way to do that. Um, which I think is really interesting.
0: Yeah. Like, uh, particularly, I think it was with the criterion collection where I started to get a bit of traction with my videos. Um, and obviously they've got a massive following, um, criterion has been around for 40 years in, in different forms. So, um, yeah, when I started talking about films in the collection, uh that's what really got things going.
1: Yeah, no, that makes it makes total sense and we did we were talking before we get on here about like what's the how large is this potential audience? And you know, it makes me think cuz I do, you know, I think about how many people collect movies like we do. Okay, it's, you know, it's it's not a ton of people, but then I look at Criterion Collection and their following and it's like Well, they've got like a million Instagram followers. So like there's a there's still a pretty there's a large audience, whether or not everyone's collecting every single 4K release that comes out or the mainstream studio stuff, or they're doing more of a curated collection um, of Criterion or Arrow. Um, I think that's why it's it's cool to see your channel grow, because obviously there is that audience that's like kind of more focused on the boutique stuff versus all the mainstream stuff that we get hit over the head with.
0: Yeah, and I, like I said, I kind of I've been mixing it up between the boutique stuff and the four K studio titles. Um, so yeah, I've probably got two different audiences on the channel, and there's probably a bit of crossover between the two. Um,
1: no, but that's the beauty of. I mean, that's that's where I I'll I'll cover the mainstream stuff, of course, but then I'm trying to get in. You know, the the Kino Lorber stuff, at least here in the U.S. I don't know how much of that makes it over to the UK, but they've been really big on 4K lately.
0: Yeah, I've been keeping an eye on Kino Lorber. Um I just I haven't been able to get them over here because it's obviously so expensive and you know, I only have you know, I have a reasonable budget to spend on Blu-rays, but it isn't a massive budget and I'd have to cut back on a lot of things that I'm buying if I wanted to justify, you know, importing some of them. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I have my eye on them, definitely, for sure.
1: Yeah, because they've been doing, they they kind of like just jumped into the scene with a 4K, I think like maybe late 2020. They, I mean, they came in late, not as late as Criterion, but they came in late and now they're just like pumping. I mean, I think there's like... A couple every month, and then Criterion's new announcements that they just announced had like four 4Ks in a month. So, all these boutique labels are really picking it up, but it does seem to be primarily US based. So, that's where I'm curious. I get a lot of comments from people about, um, I, you know, I'm jealous of Kino, I'm jealous of what Scream Factory or Shout Factory can put out in the US, or what you know, Criterion can do in the US that maybe they can't do in the UK and sort of that, that struggle. And I wish people would, I guess I wish they'd make it easier to ship a cardboard box across, you know, it's, it's 2022. You'd think we could make that easier.
0: Yeah, exactly. And obviously because of like the state of the world, shipping things overseas has gone up. The cost has gone up dramatically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's just a disaster. So that's a a lot of people. I've even had people come to me, I get Instagram messages and they're like, Hey, I'll give you a, 40 pounds, you know, whatever that is in U.S. dollars. Can you buy these two and ship them to me? And I'm just like, I mean, I'd I'd love to, but if I did it for everyone who asked, I'd be running a shipping department out of my house. Um, so I've actually, this is where I'm going to talk to these guys later in the podcast, but HD Movie Source, I'll give them a quick shout out because that's actually one of the things they do. I send people there because they'll buy the stuff in the U.S. and, and get it to you overseas for a reasonable price. So it, it is interesting, though, how much, comes out here but then also there's a lot of stuff that's been coming out in the uk or in australia in particular that i've been trying to get my hands on
0: mm. yeah no yeah speaking of australia i think you're talking about imprint they're, they're like
1: the yeah big so imprint's a big one but then i actually had a i had a follower the other day who's from Australia and went over there and I paid them to go to JB Hi-Fi and pick up some 4Ks for me. And then when they came back to the U.S., they shipped them. So like they have 4K releases of like the Babadook was already out on 4K over there. So I grabbed it. The Howling, same thing. Basic Instinct. Um, I I grabbed a handful of them because I was like, I mean, realistically, they're going to be the same if they ever make it over here, most likely. But I'd rather just have them now plus australian dollar convert pretty well the u.s so it was a little bit cheaper um but there's so many out there and it's just like i you know all these rights issues and what what can get made in the u.s and what can't get made in the uk and it's it's and vice versa um i mean i'm sure it makes collecting sometimes difficult you know and outside of the u.s
0: yeah for sure um Because, yeah, it's interesting with the rights issues because, um, well, to give a bit of history, when I first started getting into boutique Blu-rays, there were only a handful of labels here in the UK that were releasing Blu-rays. The main ones were um, Eureka, who do their Masters of Cinema line, and Arrow Video was one of the really big ones at the time and still is, Um, and then the BFI, and I think that was pretty much it when I first started getting into them. Um, but since then, there's been so many more labels, and I think the companies have been fighting over the rights, you know, you know, bidding for the rights to release things. Um, and since then as well, Criterion started releasing over here because they hadn't been doing that for a very long time. It was only about five years ago. Uh, and I think since Criterion's come here, they've been hoovering up a load of the rights and uh, it's been leaving some of the other labels having to change their tactics, sometimes even going into a completely different area of of cinema to focus on.
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point because when a powerhouse like Criterion all of a sudden decides we're going to get into the UK market, um, they have a lot of power. They have a lot of connections. They have a lot of money, I'm sure to buy rights and, You know, they have the connections where somebody may be more willing to sell them the rights versus someone else, even at a better rate, um, because of those relationships that they've, you know, back to the days of Laserdisc. So um, I hadn't really thought about that. But I mean, are are you seeing them compete with like Masters of Cinema, which was, I guess, the closest thing that probably the UK had to Criterion?
0: Yeah, for sure. Because um, so about seven or eight years ago, when I first started collecting Um, The way I was discovering a lot of new films was from going to lists online. So I was going on IMDb, uh, Rotten Tomatoes. But then I also found Criterion just through their top 10 lists that they post from different directors and stuff. Uh, And they weren't releasing here at the time. But I was going through, looking at the films, and then finding out which label had released them here. And it it tended to be that Eureka was the one that had released them. Um, But since Criterion have come here, um, a lot of these labels have lost the rights to the films and Criterion have re-released those films. Um, So an example would be from Arrow Video. Um, They used to have Night of the Hunter and then Criterion got the rights and they've re-released it. So... Yeah, I think they are just hoovering up as many licenses as they can get.
1: That's interesting. This is the second time Night of the Hunters come up on the podcast because I actually just watched it for the other day. I talked to uh, Heath from Serial at Midnight about that movie because I have the Criterion version. I had no idea Arrow had even put one out.
0: Yeah, Uh, years and years and years ago they put it out. um, And then I know Criterion did the Blu-ray. And then is it Kino did the 4K for it?
1: Um, night of, I don't know if night of the hunter has one yet. Do you know something? I don't know. I mean, it would make sense because what they've, so what kino has been doing in the U S is basically scooping up all of the MGM titles that criterion had and putting them out on 4k. They, they jumped in before criterion got to 4k and I I don't know what, you know, why or how those rights issues, how that all worked out. But like, I'm constantly doing head-to-head comparisons of Kino 4K versus Criterion Blu-ray because they are scooping up like a lot of their popular stuff so it wouldn't surprise me at all if they got Night of the Hunter
0: yeah I've, I've just had a look so in February they announced that, that they are going to release it but there's no release date yet uh, it just says late, late 2022 so it seems like they've they've got the rights to that one as well
1: yeah, they. I mean, that's what they've been doing over here. Is uh, is that an MGM title too?
0: Oh, I I don't know off the top of my head.
1: Because yeah, that's sure. that's primarily what I've seen is like, so Kino scooped up The Great Escape. They scooped up some like It Hot. Um, God, what else did they take from the the Criterion Collection? Those are the two most recent ones that I've done.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, they did Silence of the Lambs, didn't they?
1: Silence of the Lambs. Yep. Yeah so they've just been like left and right picking off some of the most popular titles from criterion too. So then it's, it's interesting, like, okay, where's criterion in the U S going to refocus. And they came out with a huge announcement list last month for, I think it was their July releases. Um, I think that's right. They go like three months out and just a massive slate of 4k. Like they got four different movies coming. Um, stuff that was actually really surprising to people I think like um but they're clearly making a push and they're sort of taking a different direction I guess um it seems like they're more closely working with like Warner yeah than uh, MGM so
0: yeah cuz who uh, knows Raging Bull was obviously the big one that a lot of people were surprised about um and then there's uh, Double Indemnity was one I wasn't expecting them to get um, I think what what Criterion are doing. Obviously, I know nothing about their business model, but I think they're getting these massive films so that the money that they make from them can sort of fund the smaller, more niche films that maybe won't sell as many copies.
1: Sure. Yeah. No. I mean that that makes sense, right? I mean they've they're still a business; they're still going to make money. You can assume that. Citizen Kane or Raging Bull is going to sell quite a bit of, you know, 4k. Uh, so yeah, then you can fund sort of these, you know, really small foreign movies or, you know, things that may not sell as well. I I mean, I think you're probably onto something. They have to have their cash cows to go along with all the great work they're doing, you know, otherwise on, on the more independent stuff or lesser known movies. Um, So it makes sense. I'm just glad they finally got to 4k because they were the only ones dragging their feet really.
0: Yeah. I remember years ago, people were asking, you know, the people that were high up in criterion, when are you coming to 4k? And they said they had no plans, which to me, that was just crazy. That was like, why would you not be trying your best to get into the format as early as possible?
1: Yeah, no, I I had emailed, I, I think there's like one guy who responds to all their emails over there. Um, John Mulvaney, I think who will like, he, I don't know what exactly what his job title is, but like you could reach out to him and he, he will respond, which is kind of cool that they have somebody who does that. But I I reached out a few times and was like, Hey, uh, you know, Kino's into 4k now. Hey, uh, arrow Video's doing 4k. Like, Hey, shout factory got into 4k. Like, where are you guys? And that was the response was that they didn't think that their audience would buy 4k discs i think they thought like well they don't care so much about the quality they want the movies and blu-ray is good enough and i think they stuck to that for a while and then realized everyone else was passing them by and scooping up these 4k rights and doing well on them
0: yeah well i think what they probably also have seen for you know, a decade now, is that people are still buying DVDs. (laughs) So they probably had a big market of people buying DVDs. I know someone suggested to me on the channel that apparently in the US, a lot of public libraries buy the discs to have in, uh, to lend out. So yeah, they probably saw the money they were making on DVDs and thought, you know, why do we even need to get into 4K so soon? (laughs)
1: Yeah, no, and they they were making a killing on DVD. There's a lot of people who still just collect the Criterion DVD and never moved over to Blu-ray. So, yeah, I get where they're coming from, but it it is a good point. I wonder how many of those DVD sales are. Public libraries, just buying, ever really. Because if you do, it's true. If you go to a decent-sized library, like I live in a small town. There's only 5,000 people here. If I go to the library here, I honestly haven't been since we moved, but I would doubt that they have a huge collection. Um, But the town I grew up in has a massive library, and I know they have a huge movie collection. They probably have every single Criterion Collection release, but it will be on DVD because that's the format that is most widely accepted by people. Almost anybody could play a DVD now. Um, Even Blu-ray being out for, I don't know, since, what, 15 years now? I mean, that's still not something you can't just go to somebody's house and say, hey, I brought a movie. And if it's a Blu-ray, like, they're going to have a hard time playing it. (laughs) So. Um, yeah, that's, uh, and in the U S like DVD sales are still 50% of the, of the market. Um, I actually just saw the, the media report for last week's sales for the first time that I've seen it. Blu-ray had a larger share than DVD, um, which was impressive. It was also Spider-Man no way home month. So I think a lot of people 4k also had a 20% share, which was huge. So like usually it's DVD sixty to seventy percent, Blu-ray twenty, 4K less than ten. And this month it was like DVD forty, Blu-ray, or DVD like thirty-five, Blu-ray like fifty-five, and then like almost twenty percent 4K. So um, that was surprising because it is primarily still DVD. People go to Walmart and they buy the bargain DVDs for you know two or three bucks, and that's how most people collect.
0: Yeah. I get the impression that over here in England I, I think the average person just doesn't even consider films on disc still being a thing. Um it it was only last year that the uh, the major supermarkets here they stopped selling discs. Now you you can't go in there and buy a film on disc in in the big supermarkets when you could definitely do that for a long time.
1: That's interesting because I've never I guess maybe the really, really large, like I guess Walmart is one of the largest supermarkets in the U S and short, like their superstores would have DVDs, but I mean, none of the grocery stores or anything I've been to had ever sold them. So that that was like never a, a thing, but it it is happening where Best Buy is pulling them off the shelves and Target is pulling them off the shelves in the U S and I mean, there really isn't a whole lot of, option left for buying in person um and especially if you want to buy boutique stuff if you want to buy a shell factory or criterion me like barnes and noble will have the criterions but they're like you can't get those anywhere i I go to bull moose which is a local video chain and like that's that's the only place that would carry anything boutique target's not going to have your latest arrow video release or, or anything so it really is shifting primarily online which i get is not ideal like people want to browse shelves but it's also sort of the reality of the world um
0: yeah yeah i think again just the cost of everything in business going up a lot of these companies are it's just not feasible to uh have a physical store anymore unfortunately like here in england we on we only have um hmv they're like the big entertainment shop. Um, and over the last, during the last 10 years, they've been into administration a few times, you know, almost out of business. So I I don't know how much longer, you know, they're going to last. Um, and I've, even from the boutique standpoint, some of the labels have pulled their releases out of HMV because they can't strike a deal that makes it worth them them doing it because obviously the costs are so high so like in hmv now you can buy criterion you can buy arrow video but you can't buy eureka you can't buy indicator uh, and i think there's a few other labels that just aren't stocking there anymore because it, it they just can't do business that way
1: that's it so is so i know of hmv is HMV primarily like that is a media store that is video audio stuff?
0: Yeah. So I don't know how long HMV has been around for, but I want to say decades and decades, probably 50 years, 60 years. And they started as um, an audio shop. So it would be where people would go to get music Mm -hmm. and get new uh, record players and things like that. And, then obviously, when you know physical media for films took off, they started stocking them. Um, at one point, they were doing video games, but they don't do video games anymore. Um, and under their new ownership now, they, they sell all sorts of weird stuff. They sell like um, like food. They sell uh, board games, T-shirts. It really feels like they're trying to clink on to just make money any way they can. Unfortunately.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I was wondering, because basically, I mean, here in the US, I, I can't think of a chain that's lasted that long doing physical we have, I guess, FYE might be the closest thing. But if you walk into one of those stores now, it's the same thing. Like they have a, they might have a couple of shelves, depending on what store you're in of media, and they'll have some CDs and stuff and, and like vinyl, because that's taken off. Um, yeah. But it's t-shirts and it's Funko Pops and it's like, um, you know, candy or, you know, anything that's just like pop culture, like posters, like that's really probably where they're getting most of their sales. It almost becomes like a um, novelty store sort of And the, the media becomes an afterthought.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: So it's it's, it's yeah, that's that's kind of happened here, too. I mean, I'm I'm pretty lucky for whatever reason we've got like a couple independent chains around me that actually still sell video and physical discs and you can browse shelves of hundreds and hundreds of discs. But like outside of Los Angeles, um, I don't know of many places that have that left. Um, so I've, I've kind of talked about that on the channel. Like we're still going to be able to collect, but like your browsing is going to be digital browsing or you need to find and support a local chain that's very niche because they can survive. But like the one around me, only has five or six locations. Like you yeah. know, they're not they're not going to go worldwide. So that's yeah. who you have to go support.
0: Well, exactly. You have to make a choice to support them because obviously it's cheaper to buy things online. You know, not, not many physical stores can compete with Amazon, you know, the prices that they have. So it it is true. You've got to make a choice. Um, I know that's the case with books here in this country. Mm. Some of the bookstores here, the books are so expensive, but they're still going because people have a a loyalty to the bookstores, even though they can get the books half price on Amazon. So, yeah, it's just you know you gotta make that choice
1: and that that is sort of I've brought up books as an example of where physical disc could end up because I think it's a good comparison point where it's like there there definitely has been value put on holding something physical um, and not you know ebooks were huge. like that put multiple stores out of business here in the US, Barnes and Noble survived, but that was pretty much it. Everyone else closed down. Um, and Barnes and Noble barely survived as a bookstore. And so people, you know, people now have sort of gone back to to physical books. Um, but it's also a tough comparison, because while you're reading the book, you have the book in your hands versus, okay, I'm watching the movie. And I, you know, you put the disc in the player and you go, it's not like you have that, touch and feel that a book gives you but i am sort of hopeful that with books vinyl cd sales went up for the first time this year in the us in like 20 years they actually increased i'm hopeful that like you know all of these signs are pointing towards i don't think physical is going to become a dominant force but Can it have a little bit of a resurgence like vinyl did when people really focused on quality and wanted the best? Like, I I think it could. I think it could come back around and at least flatline and not continue to lose sales.
0: Yeah, I I think for sure. I think, again, it's going to be that focus on quality that people are going to be looking for. Because in a way, when everything is digital and when you've got streaming and you can go on Netflix and there's thousands of movies – In a way, they feel devalued. They feel like there's because there's so much there, and it's instantaneous. It doesn't feel like there's a value to each individual thing. You know, you could start watching one thing, pause it, and then a minute later be watching something else. And whereas when you've got a physical thing and it's very well put together, you know that the quality is there. Um, I think that's that's the way people are going to get back into it. Um, I know with books, for instance, there's a, a company here in england called the folio society and what they do is they release these um hardbound books with these slip cases and they're very high quality they look very nice and they charge like 50 pounds for one book and they're really popular you know people collectors buy these so there definitely is a market when you're actually you know presenting the quality i think The issue that might come up for like Blu ray labels, for example, is if they start charging a higher price, but they're not giving the quality, I think that's where you kind of get into some trouble. Because I've seen that here with some labels where they'll release a a big collector's edition of something and it's just full of stuff that most people aren't asking for, you know, a load of like art cards and posters and booklets that some people will read for a few minutes but there's not that much value in those things i think um sometimes they charge double the price for those so i think it's going to be where there's quality and it's it's justified at the price
1: yeah and i and i do think that's where like the boutique labels are set to dominate the space in the next decade because your standard universal Warner paramount does okay with like their paramount presents line but you know just your standard release of of any given movie is pretty lackluster they don't even really include special features anymore you know it's almost like they're just doing it to do it and they don't really care about who's actually buying these which i think primarily is going to be collectors at this point it's a niche market for collectors so when Arrow Video does special things with you know their packaging or or really puts together you know hours and hours of features, the best quality Criterion does it, Kino does it. Second Sight is a big one that I've seen come up um, just recently with some really premium packaging. That is, I mean, those are selling out. So like they're <laughs> they're doing well enough that they're producing you know ten thousand of them and they're gone, um, which is I think impressive for a, a market that people think is dead. It's if you do it right and you cater to the audience who is now collectors. I think you can still sell quite a bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: So, that's where I think I think your channel is set to explode because those boutique labels are I mean, I I swear like every other review I'm doing now is is some sort of boutique and I have a I have a pile that I have to get through because they've been pumping out so many. And it's awesome to see. It's like this weird like resurgence of physical media through these these independent companies that are just buying licensing rights from the big guys and i think that's probably how it goes in the future when when warner doesn't want to keep putting stuff out or like i would love to see disney give their fox catalog to somebody like arrow or Kino or criterion or shout who can actually give it the time of day um I think that's where things are headed though. Like the major studios are going to sell off to the guys who really care about this stuff.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good point. I think that the big companies like Disney, they have to realize what they've got and how much better they would be in someone else's hands. You know, because with Disney, I mean, it's not just Disney, but Disney own so many smaller production labels like um, uh, Touchstone is a big one. And there's so many films that they've just got locked away that could really do with some restoration work and some, you know, really good physical media releases. And I just don't know when that's ever going to happen.
1: Yeah. They have to, they have to sell them off. And like now that Amazon owns MGM as well, where Kino has been pumping out a bunch of MGM stuff on 4k, I'm kind of like, okay, will that continue? Or is Amazon going to try to do something with Amazon prime and, you know, turn them into streaming exclusives or something or try to take all those rights back now that they own them. I mean, I'm hopeful they don't because if I'm Disney or Amazon, I mean, just if you sell your rights to the movie and you get a little kickback from the sales of it anyway, it's just pure profit. I mean, you don't have to do anything. You hand over the materials, hand over the rights, let the let the boutique guys handle the production and manufacturing of it, and you just sit there and collect your checks. So it's like, I don't... I don't know where the downside is for them to do it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's what confuses me is because what I get from Disney is that they like money and any way they can make money, you know, they like that. So I think they just don't, I think they don't even realize what they've got. That's just sitting there wasting away.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, like you touchstone is huge and there's so many and, um, even the Fox, just the main twentieth century Fox catalog, those have been going out of print here. Um, just the standard Blu-rays, like I, I think I realized I didn't have the Simpsons movie like six months ago. So I ordered it on Amazon, and it said it was back ordered. I don't have it. I don't think I'm ever getting it. I think it's gone. It's a Fox movie. I, I think it's just dead. I don't think the Blu-rays exist anymore. Um, and I've actually seen Fox before they get so- they got sold they like purged a bunch of physical media because I I run a little like donation thing to the to the Navy where we we get movies donate them to the U.S. Navy and they build libraries on their ships well like right before Fox got bought up by Disney or while it was in process they sent this massive donation to us of like Dozens and dozens and dozens of boxes and it had movies, but it also had like promotional stuff in it. Like they just kind of purged it and it was gone. So they're pretty much done from what I can tell. And as far as I know, like Disney and Fox don't even really have a physical media department anymore. I mean, it doesn't exist. Everything is, everything is streaming focused. So I would love if they love money, just sell that catalog, sell the rights.
0: Yeah. I I think if I'm optimistic, I think it will swing back in the future because if you look at the vinyl industry, Mm -hmm. you know, vinyl went away pretty much entirely apart from like very small labels. And then when it started to come back, the bigger record labels got interested again because they knew that they could make money selling the latest albums on vinyl. So I think if, yeah, if I'm optimistic, the same thing will happen uh, with physical media for films.
1: That, that's what I hope. And the beauty is that we never even had to get to the point of vinyl. And I, and I don't think it ever will where it's just like, oh, well, Blu-ray and 4K have just disappeared. Now your only option is, you know, a DVD, which is maybe the equivalent of a of a CD. Like, you know, that that's it. That's all you have. Sorry. If you want that vinyl quality that some people swear by, you can't get it. Like, I don't think we're ever going to get there. So we're even at a better starting point than they were at. And they grew so fast. And it is amazing how the major studios <laughs> jumped on it. And it's still, the market is still like a fraction the size of the movie market. But it was just the trend and the growth that they jumped on.
0: Yeah. One of the only thing that things that worries me is if we see like a generational change in just people wanting to watch movies altogether. I don't know if someone who is 14, 15, 16 today is all that interested in movies apart from, you know, the big titles like the superhero stuff. Because I think if you look at how people are spending their time every day, a lot of young people are spending hours on social media, on TikTok and stuff, and that's their entertainment now. And that's not me making a judgment on how you, you know, spend your time. It's just it's just a different shift in what people are interested in
1: yeah i mean it's it's instant gratification and that's where like okay it the the amazing thing is like okay netflix will put out stranger things right and people will for one week that'll be the hottest thing in the world and then the next week nobody's gonna even talk about it and it's the same thing with like disney plus like okay baby yoda is going to be the biggest thing in the world for a couple months here and then we're going to move on to the next thing because we got our gratification and it's done with. Um, and they need like those, they need like these serialized like TV shows that are 10 to 12 hours worth of content, which probably could have been like a two hour movie, but it keeps you hooked every week and you're coming back for the the gratification of it. And you're, you're, I'm definitely seeing a shift from like what, what could be a great movie that might've been two and a half or three hours long gets turned into a miniseries now. And, And if people turn in a movie, that's too long a script, they want you to make it a miniseries for HBO or something. It's, it's totally shifted.
0: Yeah. One of the things that got me a bit surprised was when, um, trailers online for movies, they started adding the little mini trailer at the start, you know, the two, three second little thing just to hook people so that they'd stay to watch the whole trailer i'm like is the attention span that short for people these days uh,
1: yeah i mean i think i think it is but you know that's why i eventually jumped on tiktok because i was like you know what i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna i'm gonna tell these young kids about some movies they need to watch and i'm gonna get on here and like it's worked i mean there's definitely you know there's interest but i mean if, if you look at like i just pulled up my my YouTube analytics, because I'm always curious. And like, if you look at the the age breakout, um, 35 to 44 is my biggest market. So that's 30% of the viewers. 50% of the viewers are between 35 and 54. And even 10%, 15% are 55 plus. So I only have 11% of the audience that is between 18 to 24. And I have a half a percent that's 13 to 17. So granted, I'm not very popular with the high school crowd. Apparently like I, nobody in high school is watching my videos. I get a couple of young adults and then people in their twenties and thirties are are watching more often that are probably around our age. Um, And I think that's because we have a sort of nostalgia for video stores too, that we grew up on that, they don't have. They grew up with, at the best, maybe Netflix was sending DVDs to their house, but they did not grow up with a Blockbuster or a local, you know, never mind Blockbuster. I had like four video stores just in my hometown that you could just go and browse. And they don't have that nostalgia. Cause I think that's where a lot of my collecting comes from is like wanting to curate that video store experience within my house and be able to go and say, it's Friday night. I'm going to watch a movie. Let me go browse the shelves and pick one out versus scrolling Netflix for an hour. So they're just, yeah. And they're just totally missing it. So I'm trying, trying to spread the word. I talked about this with, with Heath in our, our second episode when I interviewed Heath from serial at midnight, same thing. Like, you know, movies are made for, they're made for teenagers you know, the Marvel movies are always going to do great, but we're, we're kind of losing those great, independent stories um that can't get the financing anymore because they're not going to be popular on tiktok so i give huge props to like a24 for for everything they do and taking a movie like what is it everything everywhere all at once which should be probably a pretty niche movie and i've seen that all over social media and they're doing a great job with that
0: yeah i saw that that's the number one film on letterbox now like highest rated. Um, uh, speaking of that film, uh, for ages we didn't even have a release date for that over here, and it only just this week they announced they're going to release it next month. So I wasn't even sure it was going to come out here at all. So I'm I'm glad it is because I look forward to it.
1: So is the how, how is like in the UK? Is there just like really this lack of interest in movies at this point? Because the I mean, the US is still very much like even through COVID and everything like movie theaters made it. And when they came back, people came out like Spider-Man was probably the one that made everybody come back to the movies. And it was massive. Like nobody shied away from going back.
0: I I mean, it's, it's still reasonably big, but it's nowhere near as big as it is for you guys over there. Like I know that here you, you don't have to pre book a ticket for Spider-Man or Doctor Strange because I heard that people are fighting over pre-orders for that in
1: America. Now they're selling them on eBay for like hundreds of dollars the right to own an opening day ticket. Yeah, it's gone crazy.
0: Yeah. So so we we don't have that here. Um and I went to see The Northman, you know, last week and how was that? Cuz
1: I haven't seen it yet.
0: I I really enjoyed it, but it, there was definitely studio pressure and the film was that's, cut down you you can tell um
1: that's what i had heard cuz yeah, cuz he pulled out of a24 right and he went he went made who who put that out was that um it was I one of the big remember. guys yeah yeah um, but i loved his other think, stuff
0: yeah me too i think this film cost 90 million compared yeah, to the witch which i think cost 3 million <laughs> so.
1: right And that's what he actually I think he actually said, Robert Eggers said, like, uh, I'm never doing that again. Like, I'm he's going to go back to the lower budget stuff because he wants control because he he wanted that to probably be like a three and a half hour Viking epic with his own cut. And what they make it like they cut it down to two and a half hours and they probably, you know, change some of the dialogue. And I heard that some of it was almost like, okay we need to explain to the audience what's happening in this scene instead of just letting it happen. And that's very much, that's major studio involvement.
0: Because <laughs> they, they went through reshoots. And when I was sitting there watching it, I could tell which scenes were reshot and which ones were. not uh,
1: And that's the worst. That's the worst. Most people probably won't catch it. But like, if you've seen his, you know, if you know his style and his stuff, you go right away. Like, okay, that wasn't him. <laughs> that wasn't his choice. Um, Man. Well, I'm still going to go watch it because I've heard it. I mean, I've still heard it's great.
0: Um yeah, I think I think you'll really like it.
1: Because I love I love The Witch. That one, I mean that one also hits close to home because it's like I love a good New England folk to, like I want more of that. Give me more like Salem Witch Trials horror. I'll take that all day because the stuff is like I like live where I live in Massachusetts is in the middle of where that all happened. So like I can I can walk to some sites where they're like, hey, that's where they hung three witches. And it's just like, wow, that's really creepy. It's in the middle of a neighborhood now. Um, but it's all right here. So I loved, loved the witch. And even the lighthouse was, that That one kind of hit close. That had a very New England feel to it too. So I've loved his stuff.
0: And there's no 4K of the lighthouse, unfortunately.
1: Um, Not yet. It's coming. Wow. <laughs> so I... <sighs> I can, I can, I can talk about this because nobody's told me officially, but I, I know some people and people talk and a 24 apparently is going to get much more into 4k, but they're going to do it on their own. So they're still going to license, like they licensed stuff out to criterion and criterion is going to do some of their releases. But like they're doing these collectors editions now of some of their movies and that's, that's going to keep happening from what I've heard. They're going to almost try to turn the A24 label into a Criterion or Arrow Video type label for physical media, but also be producing the movies on the on the front end too. Um, so the Lighthouse and a lot of their other stuff that hasn't come to 4K yet, because Lionsgate didn't give it the time of day, they're
0: going to be doing it. Yeah, it makes sense because they have such a big brand awareness like it's crazy that so many people know the name of a movie distribution studio
1: right um, yeah because they've done an incredible job
0: a lot of people don't realize that a24 don't produce the films they don't make the films they just get the rights and distribute them but they have such a, a unique vision for the films that they do get so they have such a good brand because of it
1: yeah no they've really like they pick and choose for the most part I think the right movies for their brand and they've really curated a, a very nice production collection that they can now work off of. Like there is a, there is definitely a vibe where like I watch a trailer and I say that's maybe not an a 24 film, but that's an a 24 film. Like that is, that's the vibe that they're going for. Funny thing is those usually don't work when they're not actually (laughs) a 24 films. Um, so they, they they whoever's whoever's their buyer over there that's purchasing up you know independent films or buying up the rights is needs a raise because they've been killing it. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I, I do wonder like could could more people do what they're trying to do as well? Like a, you know, Paramount kind of started to do it versus licensing out. They were like, you know what, we're going to do Paramount Presents line and do some really cool back catalog stuff new 4k scans and now they're actually moving that to 4k as well which i wish they had done from the beginning um but they're going to start putting those out on 4k so i wonder if people just start to take it in-house and you know promote the brand if you have a strong brand like warner paramount disney a24 you can you can do that Um, and if they cater to collectors i think they'll be successful if you're Disney and you just put out a bare bones Blu-ray release, that's exclusive to the Disney movie club, you're not going to reach a very wide audience, which is what they're classic for doing with their catalog stuff. So, uh, but yeah, I guess that's a little bit of, I haven't, I haven't said that anywhere, but yeah, a 24 is going to a 24 is going to have a cool second half of the year into 2023. They got some really cool stuff coming out. Um, I have no idea what it's going to look like, but um definitely going to excite some people um, to get, at least get 4k versions of these movies. Oh, um, I look
0: forward to that then. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Well, hopefully you can get them. I don't know how hard that is to get.
0: <laughs> yeah. They'll, they'll be very expensive to ship here. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I'll make a one-time exception for you. If you want to get a couple, I can buy them and ship them over. I just can't <laughs> open a, I just can't put a shipping department in my garage. It's not going to work. Yeah. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> I did want to ask you, though, about... about So Second Sight. Second Sight's a UK company, right? Yeah. So where I guess they... To me, they kind of came out of nowhere. And I don't know how much you've looked into their stuff. I've only been able to get... Uh, I got The Guest and maybe one more from them. I haven't been able to get a bunch of their stuff. Like, I missed the Dawn of the Dead 4K, which kills me. And if anyone has it who's listening... Uh, please let me know because i need it um i'm curious like where they came from what their story is because they're getting some big profile releases
0: yeah they've been around forever but they were just releasing like extremely niche uh films and then i think it was only with uh dawn of the dead that was like the big one that got a lot of people like looking at the label um and, yeah, since then, they've acquired, like, you know, the Babadook. Um They released really start in 4K, The Guest. Um, they've got The wit- the Witch coming.
1: Yeah. i hoping uh, to get my hands the, on that one.
0: Yeah, that's going to have the new HDR grade um, mm-hmm. on there. So it is going to be different to the already existing disc. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just with the 4K stuff, they've been making a big push.
1: Yeah. No, that's that's where they caught my eye was... I don't know I don't know how I missed them but they all of a sudden I was like whoa what's what's this this the witch package or the dawn of the dead one is probably the first one that caught my eye and I was like wow like where where's that stuff in the US cuz I swear sometimes the we get a lot of stuff here so I can't complain but I think we get a lot of bare bones stuff and the best releases that we get over here from a, like Arrow Video I think does the best job of all of them for just their standard releases when they do a limited edition that's your that's better than what other guys are putting out here but then i look at like zavi and i look on their website because i can they have a u.s site and i'm like what are all these like they're singing in the rain 4k which is this huge release and i'm like i got this i got the disc here with the the slip cover that's it like what where's all this cool stuff
0: i've I've actually i've got it right here (laughs)
1: You have it? See? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Like that is that is so much better than the one that I just reviewed yesterday with just like, you know, boring little it's got some cover art and nothing else really with it. Yeah. Um,
0: well the thing is, it, it will be the same disc. Um, right. They've just they've just added a load of stuff, like posters and things like that.
1: Yeah, and I just want like I feel like that maybe the UK has a better collector audience than in the US where people are just happier. In the U.S., just buy the standard edition, and they don't do as well with their big limited edition stuff. Because it seems like Zavi and uh, Second Sight and um, all, all these guys over there are just doing these these big sets that we don't get a lot of times.
0: Yeah, I think also because of like the proximity to Europe, you get a lot of people from Germany and France mm. like importing these from here. So it's kind of touching that market as well because. Their releases are all region B. So you don't need a, a region free player if you're in Germany right. to play a UK disc.
1: And is it fairly easy in Germany, France, wherever, even if you're over a little bit further to get stuff with like within Europe, it's pretty easy to to ship things around to other countries?
0: Yeah, I, I actually I buy a lot from Germany on the German Amazon. Um because I can get discs so cheap. And there's some stuff that is out of print in England that is still readily available in Germany or Italy or France. So yeah, it's 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 really easy to get. Um, you just have to pay uh, some extra tax sometimes, but still affordable.
1: Yeah, no, I've done it a few times from Amazon. You, Amazon might actually be the best place if you're trying to buy international because they do a pretty good upfront job with like, here's your tax, here's your, whatever the, the VAT charge is in the, um, in the U.S. when I buy stuff. Because I bought stuff from Amazon Japan. Um, I've bought stuff from Amazon UK, Amazon Germany. It's always been pretty easy versus like trying to go to a local place or a local business within those countries and try to get something like impossible. I can't even get stuff from HMB. I mean, that and that's a, a big chain. Like it's almost impossible to get. So that's good to know. I had no idea, like how I guess how easy it is to just you can just kind of go around Europe and buy from anywhere and get it fairly easily, which is I guess nice if you're not getting the stuff from the U.S. so easily.
0: Yeah, the only thing is a lot of the German stuff that I buy, they're like they're American films, but they've all got the German title on. <laughs> so yeah. sometimes I have to remember what 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 film is that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it just happened to me the other day. I got the uh, the new Texas Chainsaw 4K from Turbine Media which is German and they kept the title in English on the cover but it came with this booklet like Arrow does and I was like oh nice like I'm gonna go I I usually read them so I go through and read it it's all in German I'm like okay yeah forgot that that would be the case Um, that's kind of useless to me (laughs) so great release they did a great job at least I know what the movie is but yeah that's the only that's the only downfall Um, I, I have no idea what any of the the case or the booklets say that is that is why I tend to buy from the UK and Australia though um, and I, I JBI file actually shipped to the US takes about six months but um, I I've bought like I bought the elephant man on 4k from them waited six months and it showed up I mean it got here and I got it for a decent price um, John Carpenter 4ks I bought from them as well from Studio Canal I ended up getting it from the australia instead of the uk because it was faster which makes no sense to me it's a six-hour flight across the water but um yeah i've actually had some some success with them if anyone out there is looking to grab their stuff Uh, be patient but they'll get it to you
0: yeah and the good thing is i think a lot of the australian stuff is region free um I, i know with imprint a lot of their stuff is just not locked so that's really good
1: yeah, that's kind of the genius of what they're doing is they they started this label in Australia, but they have a ton of movies that have never made it to Blu-ray before, which is exciting. And then they made it all region free. So like that's they clearly have a more global focus, which is awesome, 'cause I I've seen them pop up and there are there are video stores around me that are buying them and putting them on the shelves here. Even all the way from Australia. Like I don't know if they're getting distribution or just Purchasing them and selling them for you know an upcharge, but they're showing up on shelves around here, which is really cool. <laughs>
0: oh, that's cool. Yeah,
1: because I think they're going to be huge. The, the, they're yeah. they've been growing so fast.
0: There's some stuff that they've released that I thought would have been released in the US or the UK that still hasn't been, like um, like a uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's first film, Hard Eight. That doesn't have a release in the US or the UK, and that came out on Imprint two years ago. So, yeah.
1: And I'm seeing some people in the US. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is when it comes down to rights and stuff. But like a movie like Fire in the Sky that Imprint put out sold out of their limited edition. Now they're selling a standard edition, which is probably doing pretty well. And then like two months ago, Shell Factor was like, "Oh, we're doing one here. You can get a Blu-ray in the US." And it's like, uh. You know, I, I get you're trying to capitalize on that, and maybe people don't know about Imprint, but um, it, it's interesting to see them then pick up on these titles that they probably could have re- released. I don't know; maybe they had just coincidentally been working on the rights at the same time as Imprint and just announced it later. But you know, I have a feeling some of it's reactionary to what's going on over there with some of these first time Blu-rays.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, no, there's a lot of there's a ton of exciting stuff for boutique. So, you know, if you guys are if you're out there and you want to get into some, you know, foreign stuff, if you want to get into some more art house, if you want to get into just some cool boutique movies on, on these really nice labels, like I guess my channel has some of it, but I would definitely go to yours first for that sort of stuff. I, I'm, pick, I'm picking up recommendations from your channel all the time. So that is where I would point people first.
0: Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, cheers.
1: Yeah, no, you do. You do a great a great job and seriously, you you know more about a lot of these movies than I do. I got a mainstream education and I'm trying to I'm trying to broaden that by watching some some different stuff. Anything from the <laughs> 90s and 2000s. Like I've got you on Lockdown, I can tell you everything about it. Don't get me started on like older stuff, foreign movies. I've got a I'm a typical American. I have a lot to learn. <laughs>
0: but the thing is there's always people in the comments saying that i get things wrong all the time
1: oh Um, well
0: i I think that's just how it is
1: (laughs) youtube comments are and i i love everyone that comments but i think everyone knows youtube comments are just some of the worst places you can go as a creator i i tend to i find myself responding because i want to engage with people and i and i want to you know respond to comments but wow there are some that i'm just like i can't even believe somebody typed that um sometimes or you know i I like being corrected i don't mind like tell me when i'm wrong because i'll try to fix it and i learn but some of the stuff is just brutal (laughs) yeah
0: it is like sometimes i think you know you've watched my whole video and you decided to comment on that bit (laughs) right you know it's like uh, yeah
1: yeah but hey that's the uh that's the joys of being a A content creator on the internet in 2022 you know it comes with the territory but at least for the most part on my channel i think we have a pretty good audience and um the comments 99 percent of the time people out there are civil so that's good (laughs) yeah um cool well i can't believe that we've already gone for an hour um
0: time time flew
1: that flew by but um, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you got a lot going on and, um, I actually have to probably get back to work here after this lunch break. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I should get back to work. So yeah, I mean, we can, we can, we can wrap up here. It was a great conversation. Uh, really, I think personally, I learned a lot about just like what's going on in the UK and the state of things over there, which will be helpful for me. Cause a lot of people tell me I'm too, I'm too U S focused. And it's like, well, that's, it's where I live. So, like, it's hard yeah, not exactly. to be. Um, I'm, I'm trying to cover more releases and get more stuff in. But as you said, it's hard. And I only know what's, you know, in front of me. Um, so, this is good. This is like good insight. And that's why I wanted to, to talk to you, too. So, the my, all my European viewers can stop yelling at me and, and say I ignore them. Um, I hear you. <laughs> and I want to cover more of this stuff. And, you know, if, if you guys in the US want to see more of this stuff, you got to check out Elliot's channel. Oh, thank you. So before we go, one more time, you want to just plug your stuff. Where can people find you? Social media, YouTube, all that good stuff so people can connect with you?
0: Yeah, sure. So you can find me on YouTube. It's uh, Boutique Blu-rays with Elliot Cohen. Um, And I do reviews of Boutique Blu-rays and recommendations and all good stuff like that. And uh, I'm on Instagram as well, at Elliot Cohen Films.
1: Got it. So I will uh, highly recommend his channel. You guys should definitely go check it out. And I'll put, I'll put links in the video description. If you're listening on Spotify or whatever, if you're just on the audio version, I'll put some links in the, uh, the episode description as well. So you guys can head over there, but go support him. Cause he's, he's doing work that nobody else is really doing covering, you know, these boutique stuff. I, I think everyone tries to do it and we do our best, but your focus on it is impressive. So highly highly recommend it if you guys want to expand your interests a little bit and get outside of just your marvel movies on blu-ray and 4k elliot's got some (laughs) great recommendations so go check them out oh thank you all right well i appreciate it uh i'm gonna sign off here but we'll definitely we'll talk again soon and uh definitely want to do do something with our channels video wise or collaborate on some other stuff in the future so we'll uh We'll stay in touch, but everyone go check them out, and uh, I will uh, talk to you right after the break here. All right, everyone. So that was our interview with Elliot Cohen from Boutique Blu-rays with Elliot Cohen. Great guy. Seriously took a, a ton of time out of his day to talk to me. Uh, it was a really, really fun conversation. I learned a lot. We talked about a lot of different topics. Hopefully you guys took something away from that. um but Elliot is definitely the type of guy that uh, you know just just gets it and is that type of collector that I really hope to be someday someone who really curates the collection, which I'm working on. but you know he really gets what he likes and he really buys what he likes and he's a very unique uh, collector uh, in that in that aspect and that's why it's it's really fun to talk to him and and learn about all these movies, Um, much like my friend Heath over at Serial at Midnight. You know Elliot really has an extensive knowledge of film, and that's why it's so great watching his YouTube videos and learning from him. So it was awesome talking to him. Definitely go support him. All the links are in the description to his social media accounts as well as his YouTube channel. I highly recommend subscribing over there. Um, but other than that, I thank you guys for watching. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube if you're watching the video version of this, and if you're listening to the audio, make sure you're following along on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode we will be back next week with a really exciting guest and i can actually tell you who it is because i've lined this up ahead of time we're going to be talking to svs sound and a couple of their employees over there svs sound is a home theater uh, speaker subwoofer audio equipment company so we're gonna really dive into some home theater audio speakers and subwoofers what's the future for this stuff Are wireless speakers the future we're gonna get into all those topics so make sure you're following along for next week's episode it's gonna be a good one gonna be pretty technical but if you've been curious about audio uh, and basically what I'm using in my system which is SVS and what these guys have to say about the future of audio and home theater you're going to really enjoy next week's episode. So make sure you're following and subscribed um, and make sure you follow us on social media as well. All those links are going to be in the description as well as those links to Elliot's channel. So please go support him as well as all of our other guests we've had on so far. I really appreciate the support only episode five so far, but I've really been feeling the love and been loving the feedback I'm getting so far. So hopefully you guys are enjoying this, but have a great rest of your day. Stay safe, stay healthy out there. And I will talk to you all soon.
0: Coming soon be sure to subscribe to the films at home podcast using your favorite app so you don't miss another episode and while you're there don't forget to rate and review this podcast which helps us out tremendously you can also help support us by watching our short form content over on youtube and tiktok by searching films at home follow us on twitter and instagram at films underscore at underscore home the intro and outro were created by Elon osborne thanks for listening we'll see you next time